Here it is, December. Time once again for a wine chat with our friend Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Good morning, Jack. Hello, Denny. How are you today? I'm quite well, thanks for asking. I hope you are, too, and all the good Indeed. folks at Haskell's. Yeah, what's uh, what's going well, on today? Well, I got an interesting note from somebody, and I thought it merited a revisit. They said their uh, two children are very interested in wine, and they'd like to give them an opener for Christmas. What kind should they get? Well, I, that brought to mind uh, all the different kind of openers you can have for wine. It's I remember one writer telling me that the corkscrew is the greatest passport in the world for wine. The only way to learn about it is to get out that corkscrew and pull those corks and taste wine. And after you've tasted 20, 30 different wines, you begin to learn about it a little bit. And I always thought that was quite true. Uh, removing cork from a bottle of wine, you begin to learn about it a little bit. And I always thought that was quite true. Uh Removing cork from a bottle should be a simple task, yet there are so many different ways to do that. Uh, I I think you want to be straightforward and simple. The only advice I always give everybody is under no circumstances buy one of those cork pullers that use CO2. Uh, It's a needle, goes into the cork, you inject the CO2, and it pops the cork out. Well, that works probably in 85, 90% of the time. But sometimes that cork is in there so tightly that the CO2 will cause the bottle to blow up. And in my opinion, it just simply is not worth that travail and that chance you take of blowing a bottle up. Not only the shattered glass, which is very dangerous, but you'll have a, you know, if you're opening a red wine, you have a huge stain. So please stay away from those CO2-injected things. They're just treacherous, in my opinion. And, you know, particularly with a lot of the corks today are synthetic cork, they really are in there tight. And that CO2, like I say, it'll go for the easiest stress in them. Very often, bottles, when they're made, they have stress lines in them, and they'll blow up. My favorite uh, corkscrew years and years ago was one called a scruple. And I'll never forget this fellow. It was over 40 years ago, Herb Allen. He's an engineer from Dallas, Texas, and he came up to Minneapolis to see me at Haskell's, and he wanted me to try a corkscrew. And I thought, oh, God, you know, corkscrews are corkscrews. What could he possibly have in mind here? Well, his scruple had Teflon on the worm. The worm in the corkscrew is the curlicue part, and his had Teflon in it. And what he did is he invented this corkscrew for his wife, who was arthritic, and she couldn't had a hard time opening a bottle of wine, and he wanted something that was easy for her. And I said that I admire it. It was about 15 or $20 a, a corkscrew. And 40 years ago, that was an awful lot of money for a corkscrew. So I told him, you know, he made all the trip all the way from Dallas. I'd buy a couple dozen of them uh, anyway. Just And I, we put them on the counter. And uh, I asked our wine salesman, Harvey Brahms, that afternoon. I said, Harvey, do we sell any of those corkscrews? He said, we're sold out. I said, in one day? Yeah, he said, everybody I showed it to bought one. So, anyhow, we were off to the races with the scruple. It was expensive, but it is a wonderful type of wine opener. You know, most wine, you, you drive the cork, you use the worm to go into the cork, and then you take it out generally by le- uh, leverage. And... uh 
like you say, I, I avoid the air pump ones and all those others. Another one to avoid is the double lever. Uh, you know what those are. Anyone who's ever rented a cabin or something else or had, had went to an Airbnb or something where they have a corkscrew, they always have one of those double lever corkscrews missing one of the levers. So I'm not a fan of those because they fall apart all the time. Uh, the waiter's corkscrew is very popular, and it is the kind you see when you go into a restaurant and the waiter uses it. Usually the double lever one is kind of the best one to get, in my opinion, because you open the first lever and then you go for the second one, and it's much easier on the person. You don't have to be an atlas to open up. Uh, the corkscrew when you have that double lever. That's very handy, and they're called often the waiter's friend because they slip in your pocket so easily, and they open the wine very easily as well. My own personal favorite is an Australian version of that. It's the Australian waiter's corkscrew, and that's the one I'd recommend anybody buy uh, because it has on the other end of it uh, a foil cutter. Now, a foil cutter is something you put over the top of the bottle, twist it around once or twice, and the foil comes right off, nicely cut. You know, there's some people say, oh, you have to cut the foil, this and that. No matter how you get the foil off, you just get it off because you don't want to pour the wine over that foil because that foil can have deleterious things in it that would affect the flavor of the wine. So, uh, but this Australian one is a lever corkscrew, but again, it has a foil cutter on the end. And to me, that's the if you only had one type of corkscrew, that'd be the type. The second one is the double waiter, uh, which is again very easy to operate. And lastly, my third favorite is the scruple itself because it is the easiest to use. And believe me, if somebody is arthritic or has problem with their hands, that that scruple. Uh, it's just a lifesaver, and who would have ever dreamt when that Herb Allen sold me those two dozen scruples 40 years ago? You know, we have sold tens of thousands of those scruples since then, and like I say, it, it, the magic at the time was putting Teflon on the worm because it made it much easier to penetrate the cork with that worm with the Teflon Older. Now, there's another kind of corkscrew that I ought to mention, too, and that's for older wines. This is a double-prong corkscrew, and it takes a little getting used to. You slide it up and down to get it in, and then you twist it out. And that's recommended for older wines because uh, it'll take the whole cork out intact. And with older wines, you run the chance, and it often happens, uh, no matter how good the a uh, person is uncorking the bottle, uh, it often happens that older wines where the cork breaks. And with the double prong, it, there's not much chance of that. It happens, but it's very, very rare. And it's, like I say, it's a knack to get used to because you slide it back and forth to go down in the bottle, and then you twist it to bring it out of the bottle, and it brings the whole cork out intact. It inserts two blades either side, of the cork into the bottle, and uh, that's a, a good corkscrew to have if you're going to open any older wines. Now, another person asked me, well, if there is a little bit of cork in the wine, does that spoil the wine? Absolutely not. 
I don't know how many times where we've had a broken corkscrew that we've had to use a coffee filter or paper towels or something to filter the wine uh, because there's cork in it. But that cork generally will not have a deleterious effect on the wine. Just you want it out of there as soon as possible. You don't want to leave that cork in there at all. So at any rate, I hope I'm answering the questions for the corkscrews. to that person's satisfaction. My personal preference are those Australian waiters, but scruple is good, and so is that double lever one. And if you have older wine, uh, get the two-pronged. I think they're called Asso. But at any rate, the other thing I was going to talk a little bit about in this countdown to Christmas is uh, the Advent wine cases. Now, that's a what it is is it's a fun way to learn about wine. The, it's an adult Advent calendar. You open, you buy this calendar. It has 24 bottles of wine in it, and every day you open one, and every day it's a different wine from a different country, from a different area, etc. So you taste 24 different wines in the space of December, and by the time uh, Christmas rolls around, you've at least broadened your uh, vision of wine, if you will, by tasting all these assorted wines. So. Uh, if you if you're interested in wine, it's a great way. As I said when I opened up here, is uh, the greatest passport in the world for a wine is a corkscrew, and there's nothing nothing to substitute for opening bottles and learning about wine than tasting them. And of course, with this Advent calendar, you can do just that: taste them. So one of the other things I was going to mention today is uh, somebody asked me about. Uh, mimosas and my favorite mimosa at Christmas time isn't made with orange juice you make it with cranberry juice or pomegranate juice you use a modestly priced sparkling wine Prosecco is very good for this Uh, so is Cava from Spain very good for it even some of the French or lesser expensive wine and then when you put that dollop of say cranberry juice or pomegranate juice in the glass it creates a lovely pink color uh, that just is in tune with the holiday so very nicely. And it makes for a very nice variation on mimosas. And a mimosa is kind of a fun uh, early day drink uh, for brunch or something like that. All the restaurants feature them. And they, it, it depends on the place you're at that goes anywhere from half orange juice and half champagne to any combination thereof enough to color it and you taste the orange juice or to color it and taste the cranberry juice but doing that with cranberry juice or, or even better with pomegranate juice uh, creates a much much better holiday festive drink in my opinion and it's pretty good and you know at this time of year you want to have some wines around uh, like Prosecco or, or sparkling wine, to just have on hand for people dropping by. You know, it's the time of year a lot of people get engaged or uh, they have good news to report around the holidays. And, and let's face it, uh, it's nice to celebrate this year because people can get back together. So I'm going to suggest you have some sparkling wine on hand at home. And Prosecco is very, very good for that because it's modestly priced, little bubbles, Almost everybody likes Prosecco. However, if you want to move a, a step up, Boyo is a sparkling wine from 
made by our good friends, the Boisses, and it is the closest to real French champagne that I have ever tasted coming out of France. You know, real French champagne only comes from a specific area, a little to the north and east of Paris. And uh, real champagne, it's hard to miss because of the wonderful calcium it gets from the chalk caves that that the uh, grapes grow over. In fact, if you visit those places, you can go down in the caves and actually see the vine roots coming down there. And that uh, chalk deposit has had a great effect on the wine, particularly Chardonnay that comes from that champagne area. And while most champagne is made from Pinot Noir, the Blanc de Blanc Chardonnays, uh, or champagnes, pardon me, are 100% Chardonnay, and they're usually white from white, Blanc de Blanc, and it's made from Chardonnay. But this Boyo comes from Burgundy, and it's called Cremant de Bourgogne, Sparkling of Burgundy, and it is very, very good. It's very modestly priced. It's under $20 a bottle, and they have a Brut and a Rosé that I think are are just great wines to have on hand, and they're the closest to champagne that you can get. And I did mention this a few weeks ago. There is a terrible champagne shortage in the world. Uh, and if you have – there's champagne, believe me, enough so if you, you needed a bottle, you could get one. But you probably won't be able to get your favorite uh, because the uh, – uh, shortage of champagne is, is a real thing. They've had three short crops in champagne, and uh, they're a little bit, uh, well, they're good businessmen, I guess. They're not releasing a lot of that stuff because uh, they can get very high prices by redirecting it to other countries instead of the United States. So that a lot of champagne is on tight allocation. So all I'm just saying is if you have a particular favorite champagne that you want to have, and it's not too early to think about New Year's because, as I said, this champagne shortage is very, very real. You might want to uh, just check it out and whatever your favorite is, pick some up now so you're sure to have it on hand uh, when the New Year rings in. And also, if you have that for uh, Christmas or something like that, you have it on hand because, uh, believe it or not, these uh, port things that everybody reads about – are certainly affecting wine distribution in the United States and making it very difficult to bring in a lot of imported wines because of the shortages of container ship and then the delays at the harbor. And then, like I said, there there is a deliberate delay of champagne done by the producers. And uh, it's, like I said, they were trafficking that champagne to where they can get the most money from it. No one could deny them the pleasure of that, I suppose. But it is rather annoying that uh, those things are unlimited supply and not available like they usually are. And, Jack, let's talk a little bit about Haskell's before we get the news. Okay. The folks at Haskell's love to talk about wine. There's a Haskell's near you where you can save big dollars on wine. And our new catalog just came out. Holiday sales. There's gift baskets galore. Haskell's are the wine people. There's a good reason for that. We've been doing this 87 years, and we've gotten pretty good at it in that time. So if you can't come in, go to Haskell's.com, and don't forget Haskell's does deliver. Absolutely. Let's talk next week, Jack. Denny, I'm going to look forward to that. Jack Farrell from Haskell's.